I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. This episode of Daily Matters is brought to you by the 2020 Clio Cloud Conference, the world's best legal conference, which is going completely virtual for the first time ever. Get your pass now at cleocloudconference.com. Today's guest is Ivy B. Gray, a lawyer and legal tech entrepreneur who is the Vice President of Strategy and Business Development for WordRake, an editing add-in for Microsoft Word that tightens tones and clarifies your writing. Ivy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. I love this podcast. Oh, great. Thanks for, for being a listener. And to start off, this, this year you were named the 2020 ILTA Influential Women in Legal Tech list. Uh, and a look at your resume and career accomplishments shows why you right, rightfully deserve that recognition. Can, can you walk us through your career path thus far? And, and it's, it's a pretty interesting path. Sure. So I actually see a lot of bankruptcy lawyers turned legal tech entrepreneurs. Uh, so I, I don't think I'm all that different. Um, but I do think that comes from approaching law and business in a different way. Uh, you are, it's common as a bankruptcy lawyer to, you know, survey the field and say, these things aren't working. Here's a new way to get a job done and to do it with fewer resources. So I think 10 years of that type of thinking uh, made sense for me to wind, wind my way to legal technology. But to specifically get to where I am today, we have to turn back the clock a long way. Uh, I grew up in Silicon Valley, which means that computers and technology have always been part of my life. And you program as a hobby, that's just standard. Uh, yeah. In undergrad, I, I, um, I, worked in, I worked in IT and in public relations, and, um, and I intended to be a journalist. Uh, 20 years ago this summer, I was covering the Democratic National Convention uh, for a CNN affiliate, and I was doing a ton of writing. Uh, but I looked around and I thought, wow, this is not what I want to do. Let me find another way to use my writing skills. So that's when I moved into public relations and advertising. I did that for a few years, and eventually I started to look for other options, and I said, what's the best way to use the skills that I have in a way that will be valuable and more intellectually challenging? And it was suggested to me that I should consider becoming a lawyer. I'd never met a lawyer, so I went uh, and looked for some sort of introduction and way to work in a law firm and see if I liked it. So I found myself as a bankruptcy assistant and paralegal uh, right as the new law was coming in. I did that for a few months, and then I went off to law school. Uh, and I would say the rest is history, or at least it loops back to where I started. Yeah. And can, can you, you made a comment that there seems to be a lot of, of legal tech startups and, and founders that have come out of the, the bankruptcy space. Why do you think that that is? Is there uh, a bit more connection to, to business in that practice area? Or what do you think there is about that? Uh, that field that's that's spawning so much innovation. 
I do think that there is a, a much greater connection to business uh, because you have to see how a business runs uh, to take it through a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And it's a different level of understanding that, that the standard lawyer wouldn't have. Um, and people say that bankruptcy lawyers are the last great general practitioners. And that's somewhat true. Uh, every time you have a new bankruptcy case, you are learning a new industry, you're learning a new business, you are taking in all of that. And so you have, uh, you have insight that a lot of other lawyers wouldn't necessarily have. And on top of that, bankruptcy lawyers get to be litigators and deal makers. So you are also developing uh, two sets of legal skills when most people have to follow only one path. Uh, and your path is obviously uh, most recently taking to, to WordRake. Uh, for, for our listeners that aren't familiar with WordRake, can you outline what WordRake does and, and what attracted you to this opportunity? Sure. So WordRake is an add-in for Microsoft Word that helps lawyers to edit for clarity and brevity with one click. It presents its changes in the familiar check changes format. So it looks like a senior partner who was a great editor, marked up your document and showed you ways that it could be tighter, brighter, clearer. And you can go through and accept or reject those changes just like you would with, with track changes. I started using WordRake five years ago and I fell in love with the product. I used it on everything. I made every associate who came to me use it. Uh, I was the final eyes on every document that my firm filed. And it's, it's really easy to go from loving a, a piece of software to actually working on the software. And anytime that I thought, oh, that could have been better, I actually now have the chance to bring those changes into WordRake, and I love it. The answer to this question sounds like it's yes, but it, it, it sounds like technology has made you a, a better writer. Can you get more specific about how technology has helped you improve your, improve your writing? Sure. So with technology, you can shift around some of the time that you would normally spend on a writing project. Uh, a lot of times we sit down and we get right to the writing and we just cough something up and we don't really have enough time to polish it uh, and we certainly didn't have enough time uh, thinking about it and planning what we intended to say with writing technology you can invest more time on the front end thinking what is it that i need to say what is it that this document needs to accomplish how can i best organize this so that my reader will benefit from the time they invest in reading what i create so so i have more time to do that and then i get through my first draft a lot faster and then with technology i get through the polishing and the clarifying um, at a faster pace and i have more time to think through it and go through it again so it makes a much better final product than when I didn't use technology for my writing before. Now let, let's go back to your, your career path for a second and, and, and go a sure. bit deeper into this, this evolution into the world of legal, legal tech. What are some of the things you've learned, you know, with the benefit of seeing the impact technology can have the benefit of, of being now on the inside of a legal tech company, what are some of the ways that you'd encourage lawyers to think about uh, technology in a, in a different way and, and some of the ways that uh, legal tech can help the, the average law firm? 
Sure. So I think that a lot of times lawyers who are working on, on projects or matters of any type, they really are just focused on getting through it. They're not thinking about how can I do this better. And they ignore their frustrations. I think that maybe lawyers just think that everything is supposed to be hard and that it's a badge of honor to just struggle through things, but it's not. So if you're banging your head up against the wall and you are exhausted and you're going home at 2 a.m. yet you've only billed three hours, uh, something is wrong. And right. that should make you think there's got to be a better way to do this. I should invest the time in looking for another tool or getting some training to use the tools that I have in a better way. And working in legal tech actually made me realize that I am not standard. And I, I thought that I was all this time. Uh, so I, I try to get more people to focus on their, their pain points, but not necessarily in a business way. Um, you know, we, we're exhausted and we're exhausted for years and it just compounds. So I, I say to people, wouldn't you like to go home at 10? What, what would you give to go home at 10 p.m. every day rather than go home at midnight or one or two? Um, and clearly I worked in New York because those are the hours I give. But, uh, right. you know, maybe somebody on the West Coast uh, would like to go home at seven instead of nine. Uh, still, those are hours that, uh, that, you, that you can devote to hobbies, that you can devote to your family and, the, and, and sleep. And then you come back refreshed and ready to focus. Studies have shown that exhaustion is really just like being drunk. So you know that you wouldn't practice law drunk, right? Why are you putting yourself in that same position through exhaustion? Yeah. So. Yeah, that was a great question. And yet so many legal professionals do it. And, and your point around, you know, working so, so hard, but ending up with so few billables at the end of the day, our, our own legal trends report at, at Clio shows the utilization rate around 25% for the average solo small firm lawyer. That, that funnel math, especially when you look at the, the collection rate and realization rates of only around 80, 85%, you're, you're mm -hmm. getting a, a couple of hours of billable time tops out of most work days. That's, that's right. pretty devastating. And I, I think we, we both sing the same tune around te legal technology being a big part of driving up that, that utilization rate and driving up overall productivity um, and, and maybe becoming a bit more all encompassing in our, our conversation around the impact of technology. This is a topic I'm passionate about. And I know you are as well. The ability to increase access to justice through legal, through tech, adoption of technology is, is something that uh, I know both of us believe is instrumental to improving access to justice. Can you give us some of your thoughts on, on the opportunity for legal technology to improve access to justice, not through just efficiency improvements, but what, what broader impact do you hope to see technology have on that front? Well, I think that we can use technology in a lot of different ways uh, in, in less interesting ways than what other people are talking about right now. Um, access to justice can be increased through your scheduling. Um, you know, I come from a poor family with a single mom and getting to a courthouse to defend a traffic ticket, um, you know, during the workday means that 
you take the entire workday off. And if you're paid hourly, then that's a whole day that, that you've lost. And yeah. you could use, you know, Zoom or you could use um, other scheduling tools just to get through that sort of thing where you can put in your 10-second appearance to challenge that traffic ticket. So that's a really simple way that we could use technology even after the pandemic if we can funnel some more um, some more of our appearances through technology, I think that would really help. Um, and with other scheduling options, just having sliding windows, that, that can help too. We can use technology to answer questions, um, to create chatbots and help people uh, walk through things. I think Athena Fan did a really good job with the, with the tools that she was creating uh, through the ABA Innovation Center. And um, she was finding ways to create chatbots uh, that would help people in Polish and whatever their native language was just to answer simple questions. And people don't have those resources. Uh, another thing that technology can do is simplify language. With a tool like WordRake, say if every court used a tool like WordRake to simplify and clarify their language on their website, people might have might have a better understanding of what risks are, are there, what rights are at stake, how to help themselves to get through the court system. Um, not every legal problem requires a lawyer to solve it. And I hope that the more that lawyers get involved in legal tech, the more we focus on making access to justice open to everybody, but not necessarily with a lawyer as a guide through the, through the process. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. I, I think those are <laughs> okay. some really important points. And, you know, we, we've talked as well on, on the podcast about how um, moving even courts to a more virtual environment can help eliminate some of the systemic issues we have in the justice system that, that discriminate against uh, economically disadvantaged people. They tend to dis discriminate against minorities. And, and this is the kind of uh, of change that that will improve, uh, for example, the diversity of people being selected for jury duty, for example, just because you're, you're taking out commutes, you're taking out, um, you know, as you pointed out, taking an entire day off to fight a, a traffic ticket. Th these are really high impact ways that, you know, it feels like COVID-19 has helped accelerate the, the technology adoption cycle, especially in courts in a way that we might not have seen for for decades or, or maybe you may have never seen and and it, it feels Agreed. like there's there's cause for optimism and, and and maybe talking about some of the changes you're talking about both at the individual firm level as well as the the macro level are are, are there some ways that you're seeing you know e even in your own business uh impacts of COVID 19 and and how that's changing lawyers approaches to technology yes it's it's actually a blessing in disguise and i I hate to describe a pandemic that way, but lawyers are finally looking to cloud technology and that, that fear that they had that suddenly some alien would come down and steal all your, their documents from the cloud. I mean, I'm just like, really? Nobody wants your documents. Trust me, they're very boring. Uh, so people had these, uh, these imagined fears about using um, technology, about working from home, about all of these things simply because they were unfamiliar. And once we were thrown into this environment where we didn't have a choice, people had to get comfortable and it 
turns out that a lot of the things that they were afraid of just really weren't things to be afraid of. They were these empty boogeymen. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think we were finally getting past that. Um, you know, if somebody is using Clio today, I don't think that in 12, six to 12 months, once we have a vaccine, um, people are going to suddenly go, oh yeah, I am going to take everything out of Clio and go do things the old hard way. I'd like to right. go back to paper and juggling and, and not being able to find anything. Uh, I, I just don't see people doing that because reverting is hard. Not only that, you know, the the changes I don't see reversing are, are some of the ways we've found new ways of working, ne- never mind the technology, but almost the, the new ways of working that the technology enables and is foundational to is something a lot of law firms have opened their eyes to that on-premise technology, on-premise anything, whether that's physical documents or physical servers are are a liability. And if you want to be able to rapidly pivot to a distributed work from home uh, environment, you need cloud technologies. And it feels like the, the, the world of work has changed in a meaningful way as well, where a lot of law firms, I, I think have surprised themselves maybe, but also found that, hey, we're, we're actually working just as well, if not better in some ways in this fully distributed world. Uh, what are your comments, observations on, on that statement? Is that something you've seen firsthand as well? Definitely. I, I've seen that firsthand. Um, yeah, people are using technology in ways that they didn't expect to. Things are a lot easier than people expected it to be. I think that right. you're absolutely right. Uh, one thing that I look forward to changing is the expectation of on-camera presence. I know that a lot of times people think that connecting face-to-face like we are now um, is just really important for work. But that is an added level of pressure for a lot of women and minorities and I, and, and judgment. And I think that if we can take the next step and just move to voice technology and leave video for important conversations where you need to see facial expressions, I think that will be better. Um, you know, the amount of time that it takes to put on your face to appear on camera just so that you don't look sick is an hour that women spend that men don't spend Um, and we're judged in a way that that men aren't judged and then there's an additional layer when you are a person of color Um, so so it just uh, there's a lot of extra barriers and it somewhat tarnishes the benefits of working from home if our on-camera appearance is going to be scrutinized uh, more harshly than it would if we were in person. Right. And I I think your your comment is an important one because it's one of the the, the subtle things that not everyone might might consider that is important. When does just a a voice call do the the job? And um, thinking about the, the friction that goes along with a with a video call for for some people more than ever, but I, I think everyone to an extent feels that that additional cognitive load, feels that additional strain being a, a, on a video call. And I think you've called attention to um, you know some segments of the population that feel that in in an even more pronounced way. But it does feel like one of the really important things we need to navigate almost from a 
what are the norms that are emerging from this uh, from this crisis is when is a, a video call appropriate? When is a, an audio call appropriate? I, I know even for myself, uh, you know, without having to go through any additional work of, of putting on makeup and so on, I almost feel a, a relief if I just know that something's going to be a plain old phone call um, rather than having to feel on almost for a video call in a way that you don't for, uh, uh, for an audio only call. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And I think that people assume um, that if you're not seen, you're not going to have as much power or influence. And I don't think that's true, um, especially if upper management determines that that's not what we're going to weigh in our considerations. Um, for instance, at Wordrake, um, up until Nicole joined us, I was the only person not in Seattle and the only person who didn't go to the office. Yet I still moved up the ranks and I'm now number two in the company. So obviously the management decided that my lack of physical presence was not going to be a thing that they held against me and said they were going to look at the work, look at how much I understood where I could take the company and promote me and give me opportunities based on that. And I'd like to see more of that in the legal, in the legal world, not just the legal tech world. Agree. Um, when we think about the, uh, the, the world of work evolving as well, and we, we've talked about this a lot at, at Clio, as, as we're talking about writing and video conferencing and how these things kind of layer into our, our new way of working, it, it feels like asynchronous communication, written communication is becoming more important than ever. And, and, and as you pointed out, maybe physically being in a place, how you look, uh, is, is fading in the background as, as it should really. And what you do, what you produce right. matters most. And it, it, it does feel like, um, at least from my perspective, that the importance of the, the written word is, is going to be uh, highlighted and, and emphasized in a, in a post-pandemic world. Uh, can you comment on, on, on that? And if, if that's something that you having worked remotely in an organization and maybe seen how do you have impact at, a, at an organization as a, as a remote offsite employee, um, if that's something that resonates with you? Oh, definitely. So I, I think that email is going to be the thing that we are judged on most, uh, more so than the documents we produce email. And before... Before the pandemic, and even before, say, five years ago, there was this unspoken rule that your email wouldn't be the thing that you were judged on, uh, that it was just a way to get a document from here to there, and not really a, a um, not really the whole picture of what your communication skills were. And now, your emails are your communication. They're, they are your personality. They are representation. They are a representation of your thought process. And so your emails need to be crisp, clear, concise, spelled properly, well-organized, and useful for the reader. Uh, and I think that's true regardless of what organization you're in. And the more that you can prepare your your emails to do that for you, then the more successful you'll be. And that actually makes me really excited to work on a product that has an email component um, because WordRake will edit your emails for you um, if you're using the Outlook client. So 
I love that. And I, I think a lot more people are um, picking up on that and using the bundled product. So. Uh, Ivy, the other day you tweeted about how excited you were about a book called Why We Need More Women of Color in Tech by Suzanne Tedrick. Um, I, I know you probably haven't had a chance to read it, uh, given how recent your, your tweet was. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about why that's something that's uh, important to you and uh, we need more women of color in, in tech and, and certainly in legal tech, I, I think even to a greater degree than, than the broader tech world where uh, things are not in a, a great state from a, a representation standpoint either. Can you speak about that for a moment? Sure. So obviously, uh, I'm a black woman in legal tech, so I would like more people like me here simply because it's nice. But uh, diversity actually helps to build better collaborative teams. And I think that if we welcome it, well, if we create a better pipeline and are welcoming are more welcoming to the people in the pipeline, we will check more of our assumptions ask better questions, make sure that we're actually solving the right problems, and then get to work on creating better solutions to those problems. And part of that is because women of color are regularly questioned. We are forced to justify our positions, think through everything before we make a suggestion. Uh, we are often told that our ideas aren't good, that the problem we want to solve isn't important, et cetera. And so we have to come to the table with so much more planning and so much more data. And other people aren't put through their paces like that. And I think that that leads to a lot of ego-driven um, technology that is a solution in search of a problem. And I think that if you have more women of color in particular in technology, you're going to solve real problems and better speak to your customers uh, rather than make something that you thought was cool. Well put. And there's a lot of science to support what you're talking about as, as well in terms of uh, at, the, at, at, the, at the individual level, there's higher performance, but importantly as a team level, at a team level, diverse teams perform higher than non-diverse teams. Yes, um, absolutely true. And one of the things that leads to that is a, a notion called creative friction. And creative friction is the idea that you have different ideas and they kind of butt heads with each other and you keep pressing, you keep rubbing up against each other until you've figured out a way to reach a resolution that works for everybody rather than just one person. And it takes somebody who's going to be more aggressive and forward and stand their ground to actually have that sort of creative friction. And you, if you bring in people from other backgrounds that are not taught that it's, um, that it's rude to disagree, then I think you're going to get a lot more of that. Oh, look, my cat joined us. Sorry. Okay, move. Oh no, we, 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 love, <laughs> we love guest appearances. <laughs> uh, so I have a, a polydactyl cat, um, which means he has extra toes and he's a Hemingway oh, wow. cat. Um, so I, I love Hemingway. He's one of my favorite authors. I literally live down the street from where Hemingway was born oh, and wow. I have a Hemingway cat. So. Wow. Official member of the Hemingway fan club. 
absolutely. <laughs> so that's a random little tidbit. Sorry about that. I, I love it. I love it. Um, and uh, Ivy, just based on your your experience, what what are things that that more law firms as well as legal tech companies could be doing to uh, drive not not just diversity but but inclusion, which is such a, an important part of the equation. So I think that if we changed recruiting to look for people who have not sailed through perfectly and instead rewarded people who maybe had a slower start and then overcame some sort of obstacle, mm -hmm. people who had to find another way, people who maybe made a mistake and had to, had to correct it, I think that we would find more people of color to bring into the, the legal world and I think that uh, we would, you know, we, we wouldn't penalize that sort of, um, that sort of person. Um, and overall, I think we'd end up with better teams because people are so afraid of making a mistake. I actually wrote about this um, for my lesson for 50 Lessons for Women Lawyers. Um, we, we treat the legal path like a game of hot lava where we're so worried that any little misstep is going to force us off the path. We fall into the hot lava. We suffer and die. That's and a great way of like, putting it. I like that. Yeah, I'm just like, geez, <laughs> <laughs> any little misstep. Wow, that's terrifying. Um, and I like to encourage people to treat it more like a choose-your-own-adventure. And yeah, some of the choose-your-own-adventure books end in tragedy. It it's just a fact of life. And the authors deliberately left those endings in because people really needed to learn that not every choice, even a good choice, led to good things. Um, so I would hope that more lawyers took that path, um, made mistakes, took risks, were open about their mistakes, and then we could all move forward together in a, in a better, healthier, more mindful way. That's a great way to lead maybe to our concluding question. I'd be asking you for some, some parting thoughts. There's a lot going on in the world right now, a lot going on in the U.S. Uh, what, what's your message to your peers at this time? Use this time to think creatively about what you can contribute. Your contribution need not look like what everyone else brings to the table. Your thing is valuable, your thing is special, and your thing could really change the world. And you know what? It's also okay if your thing doesn't change the entire world. If it changes only the way that you work and you benefit from it, that is also good. And that's it. Love it. That is simple, but also really a great way of, of framing things. I like it. Uh, you know, incremental innovation and little things are what make me happy. Uh, so if I can teach someone to change case in Microsoft Word like I did yesterday, uh, I feel like I've changed the world. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a big yeah. fan. You, you, might, you might like this, Ivy, but I'm a big fan of this, this concept called the aggregation of marginal gains. I don't know if it's uh, something yes, you've come across, yes, but I have. it feels like you're, what you're talking about. You, you make those little improvements, but they aggregate over time and, and they end up having huge outcomes. Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Ivy. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, keep up the amazing work. Same here. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this and I'm so excited that I finally got to be on this podcast. Thanks for being here.
Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Boland, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast. 